Impact Hustlers, the podcast on entrepreneurs and changemakers that are creating solutions to the world's biggest problems. Impact Hustlers is brought to you by Waira UK, part of Telefonica Open Future. Visit waira.co.uk to learn how our acceleration programs can help your startup grow. And this is your host, Michael Shafrat. On today's episode, I'm talking to Charles Wilde, CEO and founder of Zish. Charles is a former Google product manager and investor and started Zish in 2014 to help teachers personalize their teaching by quickly assessing students' knowledge and recommending apps and resources that would help their students learn faster and better. Today, Zish is being used by 145,000 teachers across 170 countries and has helped over 2 million students receive more tailored education. As we speak, Zish is raising uh, funding on Crowdcube, uh, which is already overfunded. And it's a great pleasure to have you on the show, Charles. Well, thank you very much for having me. This episode is very close to my heart. Like the education system has been very close to my heart. I've been in the in early years of school, I've been a good student, but very soon I lost interest because I felt it wasn't relevant to me. It wasn't really relevant what I wanted to learn or what I was curious about. So it's very close to my heart to see companies uh, innovate on that respect and make education more tailored and really look more at the individual students rather than what we know otherwise in the educational system, which looks much more like the industrial revolution system of putting a standardized curriculum, forcing it in, into my brain, right? So talk us a bit through how you're looking to revolutionize the education system or how your approach is to education for the 21st century. Sure. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great way to kick it off, isn't it? The, um, yeah, really education, classroom education hasn't changed in, in, in 200 years, you know, from the Victorian times. Um, and, and I think most people with a sort of technology background would say that technology should be playing an important part in really transforming the way we learn. Um, I, I, um, and of course, it hasn't yet. And what I, what, I, what I sometimes talk about is, you know, the first generation of education technology really just digitized, you know, what was already there. You know, you would take a book and maybe make it interactive or you would, you know, instead of doing a pen and paper test, you turn it into an online test and set it for homework. Um, and the reality is that really hasn't changed the way people teach or the way children learn. Um, and as a result, unsurprisingly, you know, the children's rate of learning and achievement ha ha hasn't really improved, you know. Um, but surely technology should be able to, to, to solve that problem. So the second generation of education technology, I think, is looking much more at that. How do we actually change the way and the processes of learning and teaching to make it more effective? A lot of the stuff out there is really focused on individual students and learning. But we decided to look at the teacher, right? How, how we can help the teacher be a much more effective teacher. And actually, Teachers have a real challenge. Every single teacher that teaches a class has a real challenge. It's really, really hard for them to know exactly what state of learning each student is. And, and your typical secondary school teacher will teach 200 students in, in, in a single week or, or more. Um, how on earth can they stay on top of each student's individual current level of knowledge? And it's changing by the minutes as they're in the classroom and learning, right? That, that's kind of impossible. But software can solve that problem. Software can, can, can be on top of it. But then the second problem is, even if you did know exactly where each of those individual students were in their, their rate of, in, in the stage of learning, how do you know which of the literally millions of resources and applications out there in the real world is going to be the best one to help them progress fastest? You know, that's impossible too, because there's no way you as a teacher has, has, the, has the time to go out and research all that. So 
we basically build a system to solve those two problems. We have a, uh, a fun classroom quiz game, which teachers can run in five, ten minutes at the end or beginning of a lesson to quickly get a reading of all their students. Um, and they can also set it for homework, so you can continue to get those readings at homeworks. And then what we do is we allow the teacher to assign resources. It could be a YouTube video, could be a PDF, could be uh, a mobile application to those students. We measure how effective they are at helping students learn. And then when other students come through with a similar stage of learning, we can actually recommend them the resources and applications that our data predicts will have the greatest effects on, on their learning. This is allowing the teacher to personalize their teaching to each student effortlessly, something they're asked to do by the government, but they just can't physically do because they can't understand every single student's learning stage and they can't, they don't have the time and uh, to, to be able to personalize those resources even if they did. And things like this, whether we've got it exactly right or not, but technologies like this have a real opportunity to genuinely transform learning because they're allowing teachers to teach much more effectively and in a much more personalized way. You started Zish motivated by learning struggles that your son had actually initially. Um, uh, talk us a bit through those and what kind of challenges you faced when trying to deal with them and help? So, yeah, this all started for me about uh, well, over five years ago when I was um, running a, a big data advertising technology company. And I'd leave home at 7.30 in the morning, get, you know, get home at 7.30 p.m. at night just in time to kiss my son goodnight before he went to sleep. And I was quite frustrated that I, I couldn't help him with his, his learning. And if at the weekend I suggested we do some times tables, he'd argue with me for half an hour before he realized it was better to spend 10 minutes doing times tables with me than argue for another half hour and he could get back to playing Minecraft. So I was quite frustrated that I, I couldn't help him with his learning. And whereas my daughter was doing very well at school, my son was actually doing quite badly at school. So, um, you know, I, I really wanted to do something about it. And then one afternoon, I was sitting in the office at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. I got a notification on my phone to say it was my turn to play Song Pop against my daughter. And Song Pop was one of the very first early social mobile games. And of course, kids love games, right? I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if it was a, a maths app or a English app or a history app? And I was playing it, you know, in, in my office against my children sitting at home. And wouldn't it be great if it was diagnosing and analyzing my children's learning whilst we were playing it? Wouldn't it be great if it was then recommending me these resources and things to help them learn better? And actually, actually, that's a great idea. But why aren't they doing this in school? You know, why aren't teachers using technology like this in school? And so that started me off my journey looking at the, the education technology space. And I realized there was a real opportunity there to build um, a platform, um, not just a single app, but a platform um, to, to really transform learning. And because I'd, I'd helped build the, the Android platform at Google, um, I only played a small part as a team of 100 people. I was just one, <laughs> one small person. But, you know, um, I, I could see the, the power and impact that platform technology could have and, and, and started down that route. Talk us a bit through how teachers are actually using Zish in school. So what do they do when they start using Zish? Yeah, so um, a, a, a typical teacher would use it like as, as follows. They'd, uh, they'd probably come in. Uh, they'd probably have a quick search on our marketplace to see if there was a quiz on the very specific curriculum-based topic they're teaching. If there was, they'd just select it um, from, from our marketplace. Um, they're all free at the moment. We call it a marketplace, but everything's free at the moment. Um, or if there wasn't there, they use our quiz editor to quickly create one themselves. It might take them about five, ten minutes to create a five, ten question quiz. Um, they can tag each of those questions with specific learning objectives as well. 
um, and then they give it to their students to play in class as a team class game. So while the students are answering questions on their devices, which could be uh, laptops or tablets or even smartphones, uh, on the electronic whiteboard at the front of the class, uh, the kids uh, are, are playing a team basketball game together against the computer. Um, and so it's incredibly engaging for the kids. Um, but off the back of that, in real time, we sort the kids into three buckets. So we can tell the teacher, you know, which students are, are struggling most. And the teacher can actually go and talk to those students in real time um, while they're still playing. Right. So, you know, real time uh, intervention. So you're not setting something for homework and having it done three days later and then checking it another three days later and giving feedback into class a week later. It's you're immediately seeing that data and can immediately do something about it. Another one of our screens takes those curriculum tags and does a bit of analysis uh, around that so that, you know, uh, one child might be doing okay on one area but might be really struggling on another. And that allows the teachers to then do things like, uh, you know, like one teacher in, in, in Texas who, uh, you know, who thinks our technology is the most amazing thing since, since sliced bread. What she'll do is she'll split the children into four groups and have each of the four groups focus on a different part of the curriculum based on the data that our, our, our technology um, delivers. Um, and then the final piece is they can automate the assignments of these follow-up resources. So I can say as a teacher that for students who are scoring less than 50% of this quiz, I want them to watch this YouTube video. It could be a Khan Academy video, it could be a different YouTube video, because those students obviously still need some basic learning material. For students scoring 50 to 80%, they can assign them a PDF. Um, and for scoring 80 to 100%, they might give them a link to a website or a mobile app with some extension activity in. Um, we automate that process for them. Um, uh, and, and at the same time, if a teacher has previously used that quiz, we'll tell the teacher about these other resources teachers have used. And we'll also tell them how effective they are. So they can actually just quickly click and use one of these other resources if it's proved to be effective. And this whole process means that a teacher with, with 30 students in a class can very quickly personalise the teaching to each student using the best resources in the world. Mm. And that's in, in, incredibly powerful. The result... Um, children at the end of term are scoring 8 to 10% in their standardised end of year test scores. 8 to 10% more, I should say, not scoring 8 to 10%, mm. 8 to 10% more um, than they would have done otherwise. So it's already having a real impact on students' rates mm. of learning. Is there any stories you could share from, from students that have struggled um, and were able to really boost their performance and their, their, their education? Uh, well, I mean, actually, there's a great video on YouTube you can watch of some of our teaching Round Rock. And, um, you know, Tammy talks about and it's my favorite bit of the whole video um, as a longer version, which is something like 10 minutes. And it's still my favorite bit of the video where she talks about there's this one student who was always failing the test, was completely demoralized, didn't like school. But now he's succeeding. Now he's making progress and he's enjoying school. And, you know, when you see Tammy explaining this, you know, and the reward that she's getting as a teacher, I mean, that, those are the moments I love. So, um, and, you know, they also talk about how some of the children are turning up early to school because they want to come in and play this game. And what was really interesting, actually, is the first time um, I met uh, Tammy and Carolina and, and Rebecca, who are the three teachers at Round Rock, you know, our very first, very first time that um, I met some teachers who, who, who loved our product. Um, you know, towards the end of, 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 our, of our sort of half an hour chat, you know, uh, Carolina goes to me, thank you you've made teaching fun again you know you've brought new life into my teaching career um and that was a that was a really another massive moment for me as a founder you know that 
teaching is a tough profession. You know, a lot of teachers, whether in the US or the UK, you know, they've, they've fallen out of love with it. Um, because it's hard, you know, they're expected to do so much. It's, it, it's, it's, you know, it's quite demanding on, on, you know, stats and numbers at the end of the year and so on and performance. So a lot of teachers are leaving the profession and retention is a real issue. So the fact that we can actually transform a teacher's enjoyment of teaching um, is incredibly powerful. Um, and why, why is it? Well, it's because they're able to actually help children. We save them hours of time because the technology saves them hours of time from doing the analysis that they'd have to do manually otherwise. Um, and they're able to focus their efforts on the children at the right time and the right point. And the children are progressing and they're finding, you know, they're getting that love of teaching back again. Most founders I talk to uh, in the educational space, they really struggle to get into schools at all. Um, um, not even mentioning selling to schools. Uh, what's your strategy? You obviously got a really good distribution and people are using uh, your product. How did you get in? Did you pitch to schools? Did you pitch to teachers? Uh, What are some of the best practices you might be able to share um, uh, with founders in the educational space? Yeah, so, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think um, um, selling to schools, education technologies, going to that market, um, it, 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 it's actually, well, it's not really hard, actually. It's, it's actually quite easy, right? The trouble is, if you're selling to a school in, in the UK, um, it's not that it's hard, it's that your cost of acquisition for a software product in a UK school is typically around £2,000. You know, if, if you averaged out all your sales and marketing and everything costs um, over the course of a year and then saw how many schools you'd sell to, it would be around £2,000. And most people will sell their product for, you know, £500, £1,000 a year. Now, actually, you know, the chances are that school will keep using your product for five to ten years. So the return on investment is not that bad, to be honest. Um, and sometimes I'll use it even longer. But the trouble is, if you're a startup, you don't have the cash to fund yourself to the scale, at which point it becomes that self-fulfilling um, business. If you get to that point of scale, education technology business that sell to schools become cash cows, right? So for example, my maths is used in 80% of secondary schools in the UK. You know, the, the, the account management team have to do virtually nothing every year. They have to do very little to on, on the product and the sales just renew every, every, every year. But so once you're at that point of scale, it's a very profitable business. But because it's, you need so much funding to get to that point of scale, and most edtech companies don't get it because the VCs know that it's tough to scale in edtech. So you've got this kind of, you know, um, what, what's you know, not a virtuous circle, a downward, you know, an invirtuous in circle. It's really hard for UK edtech to get off the ground. Um, and that's the problem. Um, but if you were well funded, you, and, you know, and you had this fund to get to that point of scale, you'd actually do really well. So... Um, the fact, you know, very early on, we realized that selling to UK schools was going to be really tough. Um, and uh, one of the things we decided to do was focus instead on the US school system. And there's one really important difference between the US school system and the UK school system, which is that the US school system has a district system, right? So your average, the districts are sort of like location-based, region-based, and the average school district in the United States has seven schools. Um, uh, some of them, the biggest one is actually New York City, the school district, which has a million students. Mm. So, I mean, if you manage to sell to New York City district, um, you know, at $2 per student per year, that's a $2 million annual contract, right? Um, very different to selling to a, a, an individual school in the UK. So, um, so, the, the, so the market dynamics of selling to schools in the US are far better than selling to schools in the UK. So that's one of the things we focused our efforts on, on the US school system. The second thing is, 
Um, how do you get to those district leaders in the first place? Um, you know, um, and, and, and the sort of model we've taken is let's go with the whole freemium model. Let's have mm. a really great free product that teachers love. Um, and what we do is once they've signed up to our free product, we turn them into active users. And when they become an active user, we say to them, great, do you, do you like our product? Um, and, you know, we use uh, Net Promoter to, to get a Net Promoter score. And we get a really high Net Promoter score. And if they give us a really good score, we go, fantastic. Would you recommend it to your district to buy at a district's mm-hmm. level? And a lot of them will say yes. So then we go, will you introduce us to uh, your district leaders? And they do. And so that process um, allows us to actually get to start and have those conversations. Now, having said that, um, it still turns out to be a tough uh, long, long, long-term sell. So, you know... If you're selling to school districts in the U.S. or schools in the U.K., you know, you, you, you build your pipeline um, in, 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 in Q4, you know, from September through to through December. That's when you're reaching out to schools and districts and, you know, starting all those conversations. They run pilots in, uh, you know, Jan, February, March. Um, they make the buying decisions in, in, in the summer months um, and then they'll pay you in September. So, so you know, a year's annual cycle, uh, a year's sales cycle. But uh, if you get good at doing it, you know, you, you get it's actually very, very profitable because your, your cost of acquisition, assuming you have product market fit for, for, for a district in the United States, will still be around two or three thousand pounds. But your annual revenue from that district will average around, you know, um, you know, five to, to ten thousand pounds. So, mm. you know, if you keep that district for, for, for five years, you know, your return on investment is, is really, really good. Why did you decide to develop tools for teachers that help teachers teach better rather than focus on parents, for example, which might be might be easier to reach or differ, is a different audience to reach and you wouldn't depend as much on schools? That, that's a really great question. I mean, I think whichever, you know, there are various different market segments for education technology. There's the K-12 segment, which is where we sell to at the moment. Um, the preschool segment, you know, toddlers. Um, there's uh, the um, university segment. There's the, the corporate learning segment. Um, and, of course, there are, there are parents. And actually, usually that's, that, that's tied in with the toddler segment. But um, whichever you go for, actually, there, there are challenges. Um, the... Um, uh, what in the in the Western markets like the UK and the US, one of the challenges is that parents expect schools to do a good job. Whether they do or not is another matter, but they expect schools to do a good job. Um, and I was looking at a chart the other day that sh- 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 I think showed UK at the bottom of the list um, that twenty three percent of parents in the UK spend anything on their children's education. Um, privately, right? Either by going to a private school or by private tutoring, 23%. If you go to something like China, it's 93%. In fact, in China, um, 50% of the 300 million uh, school children, K-12 children there, go to after-school learning centers. That's 150 million children in after-school learning centers. Yeah. Well, right. We don't even have that. The market doesn't even exist in the UK and the United States. Um, and, so, and, you know, that, that same market exists in places like Hong Kong and Singapore and other, other Asian nations. Um, and actually in China, 10% of, of school children, so 30 million school children, go to private schools. In the UK, it's 7%, right? I mean, so 10%. I mean, it's crazy for a communist country that 10% of the kids are going to private schools. Now, both the after-school learning centre market and the private school market, paid for by parents, of course, um, are both $100 billion markets in China alone. So um, 
that's a roundabout way of saying selling to parents is a great model if you're selling into Asian markets. Um, but, it, you know, I actually think if you're selling into Western markets, um, particularly United States, uh, the, the, you know, the schools market is actually a really good one. Um, and actually schools in the United States spend $13.6 billion a year on education technology. Right. Mm. So they're spending a lot. If you if you get yourself to a point of scale and traction and become one of the leading players in the market with a product people pay for, you can do exceptionally well in that market. And we see that that is your strategy. And obviously that you've early on decided to not only focus on the UK, you mentioned the US, you mentioned, mentioned China, um, you're in 170 countries yeah, used by teachers. Uh, what are the challenges about that approach as well? Because let's say quite early on, you decided to go global. Um, with all the different educational systems, all the different cultures, how do you actually manage manage that, and uh, what are some of the roadblocks you're facing? Uh, that's, uh, that's a great question. I mean, I don't maybe you even noticed. I actually published uh, an article on LinkedIn about this uh, about yesterday. Um, it is challenging, and I think if you do try and go the global approach like us uh, very early, um, it does add overhead, and it does make it um, you know you will make slightly so, slower progress in the short term. I mean, it, you know, you do have to do things like build internationalization into your product you know um it's relatively straightforward to do but then you know whenever you change your product and add new feature new screens you know because our product now is in four different languages you have to go out and do that you know that do all the work again to to to, to localize it um so um Yes, you, you need if you're going to sort of take this kind of global attitude, you do need to be a little bit better funded than if you're just going to do it locally. But I think I think it's it's worth it. I think it's you know if you're a founder, you know if you think about your global strategy and you include it in your pitch deck, I think it goes down well because people realise you're thinking globally and you'll find it easier to raise money and you can raise more money and then you can have a, a bit of a global strategy. Um, you do still have to be careful. So I mean, you can't just um, you know never go out and set up an office in another country until you're absolutely 100% sure that that's the right thing to do. Many companies and even companies I've been in the past have done that too early, right? So don't go and set up your US office until you're already selling into the US um, successfully and have got a reasonable amount of scale and can support the cost of that office. You know, it's, it's easier than you think to, um, you know, start conversations with people around the world. Um, you know, I mean... We started, I won't say which one it was, but we started a conversation with an Asian Ministry of Education um, uh, four years ago, simply by looking for their email address on, on, on their Ministry of Education website and emailing them and getting a response the next day. And the conversation started. And two months later, we were in their offices pitching to them. And, and so, you know, you'd be surprised. Um, you know, if you just give it a go and try, things start to happen. I mean, like with China, um, what, what actually happened was the DIT um, had, a, had a trade mission to China. Um, and they, you know, we thought it would be great to start looking at China. And you could only go on a trade mission if you had a Chinese version of your product. So we spent the next three weeks making a Chinese version of our product. So we had a Chinese version of our product. Um, I actually never got to go on the mission because I got to Bangkok and they wouldn't let me on the plane because a corner of my passport was, was torn. Um, so I never actually got to go on that mission and, and benefit from that. But... We then had a Chinese version of our products and other people, we started having conversations with other people and we started to meet other people related to the Chinese market. And before we knew it, we were in China again and we were having conversations with VCs in China and one thing led to another. So, um, you know, 
once you start thinking about it and trying to do things, you know, you just slowly build your network and things start to happen. Um, and it's just by virtue of, of trying, really. Um, and some things work and some things don't. So, you know, things can be very serendipitous. But if, 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 if they, these serendipitous things happen because you try lots of different things and some of them start to start to work. I want to talk a bit about long-term vision and how you're looking really to shape uh, the educational system and change people's lives and kids' lives uh, while they're learning. Think about the next 10 years. What sort of impact are you looking to make with uh, Zish? Well, so, I mean, um, that's a really great question. The, the, I mean, there's two ways I can answer it. And the, the first way is, is, is a very simple way, which is that, you know, we really think that we would like to get to the point where half the world's school children are, are, are using our technology, you know, so 500 million school children. Um, but that doesn't really talk about impact. I mean, I think, you know, what, what we believe is that technology can has a, have a massive impact on learning. Now, a lot of what we, we were talking about earlier was about the impact it can have in first world countries where, you know, teaching is already reasonably good and children um, get to go to school and everything. Um, but um, in many countries around the world, students don't get to go to school um unicef uh say that i think it's 264 million children don't get the opportunity of a school education around the world and that's crazy right that's that's crazy if you think about it in the modern world um irrespective of the technology how can a quarter of the world's children not have the opportunity of going to school um and actually building schools is not the fundamental problem actually the fundamental problem um is uh, lack of trained teachers Right. So there's a massive shortage of lack of trained teachers in any country in the world. But when you go to places like sub-Saharan Africa, of course, it, 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 it's, it, it's magnified. And so, you know, part of the way we think of our software is, well, actually, it's a virtual teaching assistant. Right. It, um, it's like having another teacher in the classroom that knows each of your students in, in really great detail, but has also been in a million other classrooms around the world and know what know what's work. And then. Because it can do the hard work of analyzing and recommending and finding the right resources, you don't need a teacher who is a real expert subject matter. All you actually need is a smart person who knows how to organize a classroom and, uh, you know, help the children when they get stuck and do things, right? So you could actually have, you know, our software combined with a smart person um, and, and help the children still, still learn effectively. So I think, you know, there's... That, that we, we can have an impact on multiple uh, multiple levels. Um, and actually, when I started out this business, I, I used to say, you know, that our job is not done until a five-year-old child in the Philippines can pick up a smartphone and 20 years later be a brain surgeon or a rocket science or whatever they want to be. Um, uh, and, and that opportunity is the same for everybody around the world. Um, and so it's kind of like, you know, just by chance, we happen to be now, you know, working with the Philippines Ministry of Education. And you know, it's super exciting for us that, you know, you know, if, if things continue to progress with them, that, that we could be really transforming the education system in the Philippines and helping those, you know, five-year-olds actually become rocket scientists or brain surgeons in the future. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing, you know? So, um, yeah, that's our aspiration, yeah. Um, and, um, I, you know, I see no reason why we shouldn't succeed of it. Um, Ten years seems like a good time frame for to, to, to do it into me. I wish you all the best on that journey. Uh, thanks very much for joining me today and all the best for that mission. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was Impact Hustlers. Impact Hustlers is brought to you by Waira UK, part of Telefonica Open Future. Learn more about Waira on www.waira.co.uk.